Well, how are you this morning, everybody? Good. Good to see you. You sound good and you look good, and we're glad that you're at church. Last week, we kicked off a new series called Pray Like Jesus. While Jesus was on this earth, uh, he lived in a, a physical body for about 33 to 33 and a half years, scholars tell us. Um, of that time, he spent about three to three and a half years in public ministry. And of that three to three and a half years, he spent most of his time with, I can't, I don't have 12 fingers, but 12 guys, okay, 12 guys. And he invested into them, he mentored them, he poured into those 12 guys, knowing that they would be the guys that he was going to leave uh, the future of the, the church into, into their hands. And during that three to three and a half years that they walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, they saw him do some incredible things, like the time that he took uh, that two-piece fish dinner from Long John Silver's, come on, somebody, and fed over 5,000 people with that. That, that is just incredible. Uh, but yet as they were there and they witnessed that and they were part of that miracle, we don't have any record of them saying, Jesus. How did you do that? Lord, what, what, what's, your, what's your secret to multiplying fish and loaves? Like, we'd love to be in on that. They, we don't have any, have any record of that. Uh, he, he healed thousands of people. They would go into a town or a village, and people would come by the droves. And there's so many scripture passages where it says that he healed them all. He healed them all. He healed them all. He healed them all. Just over and over again, Jesus is just healing people, but we don't have any, any biblical proof that they ever said, hey, Jesus, could you give us a few pointers on healing? How, we'd love to be able to do that ourselves, Jesus. Could you show us how to do that? Do you remember the time he spoke to the storm? And the storm calmed down. They thought they were all going to die. And he spoke to the storm. The storm calmed down. There's no record of them ever saying, Lord, that was really cool. We'd love to know how to do that. They saw him do some awesome things in this three and a half year period. But yet we have no record of them ever asking him to teach them to do any of those awesome things. Except in Luke chapter 11 verse 1. It says, and now it came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Here at Crossroads Church, we are starting this new year asking the same question that the disciples asked him 2,000 years ago, Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, would you say that with me this morning? Let's say it together. Ready? Lord... Teach us to pray. Verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Last week we spent the bulk of our time saying that the entire basis for our prayer life is the father-child relationship. That is foundational. Everything else is built on this truth that you and I as followers of Christ are children of the Most High God. Now, anytime I stand before you, I give you my word, I have spent hours, I know some of you, some of you are going to doubt this, and be like, Pastor, it don't always sound like it. I know, I know, I know. Sometimes they're real duds. It just happens. 
But I can, I can assure you, anytime I'm standing before you, I have spent hours praying and studying and asking God to give me something that I could give to you. I, I, I assure you that. And I hope that most weeks I, I can give you a little nugget here and there. But I will say that last week I heard from so many people. I was overwhelmed how God was speaking to us in this room about how many of us have had our internal picture of God painted by the people throughout our lives and throughout our spiritual journey. And thank God some of them put some really, really good things into us. Can you say amen? Amen. But last week, God was also revealing that sometimes through our journey, some people took their paintbrush and they put some stuff on our canvas that didn't belong there. That we ended up with some pictures about God that were not biblically accurate. And and then he also talked to us about how many of us have taken the wounds that we received at the hands of our fathers. And we have projected them onto God the Father himself. So many people reached out this week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the message. We just had a blessed time. And I believe that the Holy Spirit was repainting our picture of God the Father. Because if we're going to have a fruitful prayer life, it is all going to hinge on this Father child relationship and he's a good daddy somebody say amen Amen. all right let's go back to verse two let's see what he's going to say to us this week we're praying we're asking we're seeking him verse two so he jesus said to them when you pray say our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For our study this morning, let's zoom in on this second phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The next thing I believe that Jesus is going to teach us about prayer is the difference between what I want to call relational prayer and transactional prayer. Relational prayer and transactional prayer. The line, your kingdom come, your will be done, is reminding us that our time with God is not just to bring him a list. Okay? This line, your kingdom come, your will be done, in fact, it reminds us that he is God. And when we approach him, our first priority is not to have him do what we want him to do. Our first priority is his kingdom. His will. When, when, we, when we come to God in prayer, we're saying, Lord, here I am today desiring to know you and to do your will. Now, I know that the world we live in today, the gospel has been morphed into what I would call the gospel of me. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been morphed into The gospel of me, where many modern preachers preach a man-centered, self-centered gospel. But we must remember this, church, that God does not exist to glorify us. We exist to glorify Him. That's why we're here. That's why we have breath. That's why we have life. Therefore, as we spend time with Him in prayer, first and foremost, we are submitting ourselves to Him. And we're saying, Lord, I just want to know you. This is what I want to call relational 
Prayer, I think many of us too often think about prayer with a transactional mindset instead of a relational one. What, what do you mean? Well, a transactional mindset might look like this. I have needs. God has resources. Therefore, I'm going to bring my needs <laughs> to God for his resources. That describes many of us in the way we think about prayer. Lord, you know, my son's got the flu, and I, I need you to heal him. Father, the car's broke down again. I really, really need a new car. Jesus, you know my marriage is struggling and be awesome if you change my spouse. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we never ask him to change us, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, Holy Spirit, you know my boss doesn't recognize all my hard work, and I haven't had a raise in two years, so if you could just intervene and just do something about that, it'd be awesome. And Father, you know my cholesterol ain't what it needs to be, so if you could go ahead and bring that down without me having to diet or exercise, that'd just be fantastic, Lord. Transactional prayer tends to focus on what we desire from God, and if we're not careful... What we can get from his hand becomes more important than what we can receive from his heart. Transactional prayer focuses on what's in daddy's hand. Relational prayer focuses on what's in daddy's heart. Relational prayer says, Father, I'm here before you so I can know you. Now listen, I know we have needs, and there's nothing wrong with bringing our needs to God's resources. But I think we miss the point of prayer if we simply reduce our prayer life to being simply a transactional one. Look at it in human terms for a moment. We see, we see this in marriages all the time. When the relationship between two people begins, the couple invests lots and lots of time into one another. And oftentimes they aren't really doing a whole lot other than just enjoying being together. However, as the responsibilities of life kick in, the relationship can easily morph into a transactional one. You know what? You make the bed, I'll make the coffee. You pay the bills and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean the house. You mow the grass and I'll get the kids ready for bed. As the needs of the family grow, there is less and less time spent simply on the relationship. And before long, you have a husband and wife who are no longer passionate about one another because they simply look at one another and see a list of tasks. We no longer make deposits into the relationship. We're only making withdrawals. And what started as this loving, passionate relationship has now become a transactional one. And I think we can do that same thing in our prayer lives. When we only see prayer as just a time to get stuff from God, we lose our first love. We lose our passion. We lose the relationship. And, and, and Christians, just as a husband and a wife, can get disappointed in one another when we're not meeting one another's, quote, needs exactly when we want them met and exactly how we want them met and in the manner we want them met. Sometimes followers of Jesus can actually get disappointed with God when he doesn't answer our prayers exactly the way we want them. Therefore, I'm submitting to you that prayer should be more about the relationship than it should be the transaction. God is not an ATM. He is our father. Can somebody say amen? 
So in this teaching on prayer, the second emphasis Jesus makes is it's not on our will. It's not on the uploads to heaven. It's on the download from the Father, our Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Relational prayer is us learning about the heart of the Father. His will reveals His heart. Let's quickly look at a few things that Jesus said about the will of God. How about this one in John 4 and verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. My food. What is, what is He talking about? He's, he's saying, The thing that satisfies my soul is to know and do the will of the Father. Hear me, church. If you and I want to live full lives, if you and I want to live with a deep satisfaction and a deep knowing that we are actually living on this planet, walking out our God-given destiny and purpose, that feeling of, of holy contentment is only going to come not when we're doing our will, but when we are doing the will of the Father. I'm I'm telling you, when, when, when you say yes to God, there is no feeling on earth that can match it. Doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, what kind of cars you drive, how big your salary is. None of that matters. When you say yes to God, there is something that happens down deep on the inside of you that you know you are fulfilling your purpose for life. Most fulfilled times in my life have come when I'm not bucking the Father. When I'm not presenting my brilliant ideas to the King of the universe. The most fulfilled times in my life happen when I hear His voice and I say yes. Jesus said, my food The thing that fills me is when I'm doing the will of my Father. How about this one? John 6 and verse 38. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven. Here's my purpose. Here's why I'm on this earth. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I didn't come here with my own plan. I didn't come with my own agenda. I came. To fulfill the will of the one who put me here. How about this one? Jesus' most intense time of prayer. Luke chapter 22. He's in, he's in prayer in the garden. We have to understand that Jesus did not run to the cross. Okay? Jesus wasn't excited about the cross. Why? Because it, it would be a time of Physically excruciating pain. Just think about it. If you knew you were going to be beaten and you were going to be tortured and you were going to suffer. I mean, how many get anxiety about thinking about going to the dentist? (laughs) Right? And you haven't been in four years. Yeah. Right? I mean, we, we think about a little bit of pain and we put it off. We don't make the doctor's appointment. We don't go. We're not interested. We, 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 don't, we don't like pain. Jesus knows 
that he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. He knows a crown of thorn is going to be forced down over his head. He knows he's going to be whipped with that cat of nine tails. He knows that, uh, that his beard is going to be ripped from his face. He knows that. So he, he's not rushing. He's not running to go to the cross. And in fact, he's wrestling even with his own will. Remember, he's 100% God. He's 100% man. And so he's there in the garden. And what is he doing? He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. When Jesus got this big time in his his life coming up, the hardest time of his life, hardest season of his life, it drives him to prayer. Luke 22 and verse 41, it says, And he was withdrawn from them, from the rest of the disciples, about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying this, verse 42, saying, Father, if it is your will, Take this cup away from me, and nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We've just read three occasions where Jesus talks about, hey, I'm here, Lord, just to do your will. The series is called Pray Like Jesus. If we're going to pray like Jesus, and I think it's going to require us to adjust our mindset about prayer and remind ourselves that it's less about me getting God to do something for me. And it is more about spending enough time with God to know him and to know his will. I turned 49 this past Friday. If you weren't able to get a gift yet, it's okay. I'll be here next Sunday as well. Uh, I know it's a 49, Pastor. Wow, I can't believe I know. But for the first half of my life, I feel like I have focused on accomplishment. I want my life to matter. I want it to count. I want to make an impact. I, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with desiring to do that, especially if our motives are right. And sometimes my motives are probably right, and sometimes they're probably not. But in the second half of my life, I honestly want to focus more on knowing God than working for Him. That's what I want. I want to focus, Steve, more on relationship than accomplishment. And I know that is only going to come through prayer. One of the things that I wish I had done more in my first 49 years was to spend more time in relational prayer. And here's the irony the more time we spend getting to know God will actually result in accomplishing more of the things that matter. It's not like if I spend 30 minutes with God that that's 30 minutes I lost of being productive. No, that's 30 minutes. That 30 minutes with God will, will actually help me discern the things that truly matter instead of wasting my time on things that don't. You see, we're a culture that often mistakes activity with productivity. We're a people that often worships busy, even if we're busy doing worthless things. We want our lives to matter. We will make knowing God our top priority. Pastor, I I thought when this series prayed like Jesus, you were going to teach us how to get stuff from God. 
We're going to talk about what we would call prayers of petition. We're going to talk about that next week. And and we're going to talk about some nuts and bolts and understanding how that works and all that sort of stuff. But I'm telling you, if we don't get these foundational things right, like he's our father, then nothing else matters. I read a passage of scripture probably 20 years ago that hit me in a really, really deep place in my heart. And I'd like to tell you that I read this scripture and immediately put it into practice. (laughs) But the truth is, I read this scripture 20 years ago, and I'm still struggling to put it into practice. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. Let's look at it together. It's pretty sobering. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the, what? Will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says, just because someone says, Jesus, Jesus, doesn't mean you're going. Doesn't mean you're getting in. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, many, not a few, not a couple, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I remember reading this scripture and thinking, wait a minute. The things he mentions here, all all, all the things he mentions here are the very things I dream of doing. Like, those are my goals. I want to do those things for God. But yet Jesus says we can do awesome things in his name without actually knowing him. We can do godly-looking works without actually doing the will of the Father. Church, can I tell you, unbelieving people don't prophesy. Unbelievers don't cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Church people do those things. But yet Jesus said we could do all of those things without ever actually taking the time to know him. I was a young man in my 20s when I read those words for the first time. And I remember being rocked by them and thinking, God, I don't want to be like that. I I never want to be That person who hears, depart from me, I never knew you. Again, sobering words, and I'm not trying to guilt any of us into prayer. But I think the point of the passage is to get get us to understand that more than anything, God wants to have a real, intimate, personal relationship with us. And if we can prioritize that, then the right works will come. Again, next week we're going to talk about bringing our petitions before God, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. But today we're talking about priority, and our first priority in prayer is not transactional. It's not what can I get from the hand of God. Our first priority in prayer is relational. I want to know you, God. I want to know your 
Guys, I'm going to go over to my station here. Again, I first read Matthew 7 when I was a pretty young man, early 20s. I wrote this song. It's been a long time since I sang this song. I had to really think, think through the words this week. Well, I could write a thousand songs, lead a million souls to Christ, preach the word in all the world, even sacrifice my life. But if I never took the time just to sit and talk with you, you'd say, depart from me. I never knew. I want to know you I want to know you My prayer to you this day Is to know you in this way I want to know you I want to know you More than anything I could ever do I could heal the lame and make them walk, heal the dumb and make them talk, cast out demons in your name, but it wouldn't mean a thing if I never took the time just to sit and talk with you. You'd say, depart from me, I never knew. I want to know you, I want to know you, my prayer to you this day is to know you in this way, and I want to know you, I want to know you, more than anything I could ever do for you. I want to know you. And after all you've done for me, it's the least that I can do to set aside the time to get to know
Would you stand with us and sing this song? Light of the world, you step down into darkness and open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with Let's sing this whole chorus together. Here I am to worship, and here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, and all together wonderful too. So highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, and humbly you came to the earth you created, and all for love's sake became poor. Let's lift our hands across the room this morning and say, Here I point of prayer. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Now think about this. And I'll never know much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. No, I'll never know.
God, you are so amazing. You want and desire a relationship with us in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our flaws. You still desire a relationship with us. God, help us. Help us to be passionate. Return us back to that first love. When we desired to be in your presence. When we couldn't get in our car without lifting our hands while we're driving down the road saying, Lord, you are mighty and you are awesome and I love you. God, take us back to that. Restore our passion. Then when we see a sunrise, we don't just look at that sunrise and say, oh, that's nice. But we look at that sunrise and we say, thank you, Father, for what you created here. Thank you, God, for this creation that you have brought into existence. Bring us back to our knees when we say, God, I'm sorry. I'm ugly. I have failed you yet again. Bring us back to our knees when we say, God, help us to have a passionate heart. Help us to be caring and kind and considerate to our family. Help us to be caring, considerate and kind and compassionate to those that we meet. Whether it be on the street or in the stores, help us to see people through your eyes. God, restore us back to that place where we have a passion and a love for you that we want to do what you have called us to do. That we're not just concerned about what we're going to get or the things that we already have, but we have a passion and a desire to worship you once again. God, I ask you to move. I ask you to move in our hearts. God, I ask you to move in my heart. Let me desire to do your will. Let me desire to sit at your feet and worship you, not to be consumed with the things of this world, but to be consumed with the creator of this amazing world. Thank you for creating us, but then help us, Lord. Help us to remember that you are the almighty, powerful one. We thank you, Lord, that in this coming week, you're going to remind us, remind us of the words of that song. We want to know you. God, when we're driving down the road, Remind us when we're standing in our kitchen sink. Remind us to speak to you, to pray without ceasing, not to, to just go about our day and do our own thing, but remind us to, in everything that we do, to exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence in this house. And we thank you that your presence is going to go with us to those that we talk to, to everything that we do, our jobs, whatever it is that we're doing in this week, wherever it is we go in our homes. God, I ask you to let your presence fill up our homes and speak to us. Show us how to do your will. We want your will done in our lives, not ours. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.